There you go. Hey guys, happy Easter. Nice to see everybody out. Beautiful day and you've chosen to spend part of it here. So that's a, a huge honor for us to see you out this morning. Uh, glad to have you with us. If we haven't met, my name is Justin. I'm the lead pastor here at Fieldstone. Uh, we're going to jump in just a second. That video will make more sense in just a second. Uh, first thing you need to know about me uh, is number one, uh, I can get sunburn on a non-hot day and so can you. So be careful over the next couple days. Summer is here. Um, had a great time. At a baseball game yesterday and uh, had less of a great time when I got home and looked in the mirror and realized <laughs> I'd made a terrible, terrible error. Um, second thing you need to know about me is I am very much like Handy Dan without the self-confidence, okay? And so when it comes to building, my brain does not speak that language at all. I, if there's an area that I struggled in school, it was anything had to do with building or creating. I know some of you guys probably did Rube Goldberg projects in school, maybe the simple machine things. I always did a very bad job at those. Uh, but one thing that, that you can have some fun with it, even if you're not great at it. So, so one activity in particular I always liked, whether it was in the school setting, uh, we did it in youth group settings over the years, it was building marshmallow towers. I don't know if you've ever done this, but basically you give the kids an allotment of mini marshmallows, an allotment of uh, 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 toothpicks, and depending on the age, the sixth grade boys will eat all the marshmallows, the ninth grade boys will chop up the the toothpicks and eat those. And so you got to be really careful about, about doing that with students. But basically, you get an allotment, you get a certain amount of time, and you just try to build it as big as you possibly can. Sometimes it's, hey, build this as tall as you can. Sometimes you add in, all right, you're going to try to go tall, but we're going to put weight on it, and we'll see who can handle the most weight. Either way, always fun and a great setup for whoever's teaching it, right? Because there's some obvious lessons in there, especially for people like me that aren't great with building. Because when it comes down to a project like that or a game like that, the key is the foundation that you're able to establish before you start going higher. Because you might have a lot of fun with it. You might get super creative. Maybe you're somebody with unique ideas. Maybe you can get really artistic, even with those limited supplies. You might have gone super high, and it might look really cool while you're standing there holding it with your hands, but in the midst of it, did you put much thought into how you were constructing it? Is your base wide enough? Is your base strong enough to support the tower once you actually take your hands away? Did you consider the strength of your foundation while you were building this marshmallow tower? Or when the tower is asked to hold up on its own, will you find that your trust has been misplaced? Now, it would have been fun to throw some mallows at you guys this morning and actually have you build some of these towers, but I don't think we even need to do the activity. I think you know where I'm going with this, right? Because we're, we're, we'll get past playground structures, we'll get past marshmallow towers, and it still is the ultimate question, right? As we start building the major structures of our lives, we can talk about family, talk about career, talk about your health, right? Mental, emotional, spiritual, physical, all of those different things. We can talk about the adventures you want to go on. We're talking about discovering some financial stability in your life. When we start building those major structures in our lives, have we put much thought into how we're constructing? Have we considered the strength of the foundation that we're building on? When, it, when, when we need those things to hold up over time, as we start to build those major structures of our lives, is our trust in the right place? I'm going to come back to that in a second. First, there, there's an interesting issue throughout history, specifically ancient history, but I think if we're honest, this is something that sneaks up on us from time to time, even in the modern world, um, and we're going to read about it in Psalm 115 this morning. Um, 
Psalm 115, there's a little bit of context that goes with this. We're just going to read it at first, and then I'll come back and kind of tell you what King David is doing here in this particular psalm. So 115, verse 4, he says, Their idols are merely things of silver and gold. They're shaped by human hands. They have mouths but cannot speak, eyes but cannot see. They have ears but can't hear, noses but can't smell. They have hands but can't feel, feet but can't walk, throats but can't make a sound. And those who make the idols are just like them, as are all who trust in them. So basically, what David is experiencing around him is there within the nation of Israel, they are attempting to the best of their ability to worship the one true God, right? The creator God, the provider God, the healer God, the one God with a capital G. Around them, all the different nations have their own different gods. Gods that they've invented over the centuries, over the generations. Gods with a little g, right? And so what's happening is these nations are encountering the Israelites and King David. And they're saying, well, where is your God? We can't see your God. We can't hear your God. There's no place we can go to visit your God. Where is your God? And David's saying, wait a minute, where's our God? What about your gods, right? We're talking about images. We're talking about shapes. We're talking about faces and animals formed and sculpted out of wood and metal and clay. He says, your gods are inanimate objects, right? You, you took a tree. You cut down a tree. You harvested wood from that tree. Out of that wood that you cut down, you carve a shape. You carve some human-like figure. You take that figure and set it on a table. You step back and then worship that thing that you have created out of wood that you cut down. And so David is simply highlighting some of the ridiculousness of what he's seeing around him as people question the validity of his God, saying, what about your gods, right? But this is where it's a little bit interesting in the history of Israel and even in our own lives is because although in this particular moment David recognizes the ridiculousness of how they're operating, over the centuries God's people went through tumultuous seasons where they themselves turned their attention from him and on to some of these other options. Keep this psalm in mind for just a second. We're going to jump to the book of Isaiah. Um, and just a little bit of context for Isaiah. This is a prophetic book uh, that was written over the course of decades. Um, and some, some of Isaiah is talking about current events. Some of Isaiah is giving prophecy of events that will still happen. Some of Isaiah is giving a flashback, kind of giving some allusions to the past, even kind of harkens back to the flood a little bit and back to the, the creation account a little bit. Some of it is simply a statement on the ongoing struggles of being humans. So in this point in Isaiah, we're going to be in Isaiah 28, Israel has gotten so far from God. They've gotten so involved in some of these other nations and their other gods. They've betrayed the covenant, and so God has to bring a corrective punishment. He's got to let them know this is not okay. I've got to bring you back into the fold, and it's going to be difficult. So throughout Isaiah, you see things like, hey, judgment is coming. It's going to be destructive. Isaiah, speaking for God, says, I'm going to raise up Babylon, and Babylon, this evil empire, is going to come, and they're going to bring destruction on your cities. They're going to do a lot of killing, a lot of evil things, and they're going to take many of you back to Babylon in exile. They're going to make you leave your home, and they're going to turn you into slaves for their own bidding. But in the midst of that pain, God says, I promise I won't forget you forever. I will save you. If you'll simply return to me, I will always save you. I will always provide a way out. As it carries on, we see that Babylon does come. They do bring all kinds of destruction with them. They do bring a bunch of the people back in exile. But then God keeps his promise and ultimately brings judgment on Babylon. He allows the Persian Empire to be raised up. And they come through and they overthrow Babylon. And the Persian king was a little bit different. 
He allowed people to go back to their homeland that included the Jewish people so they got to come back, rebuild, and ultimately restore their relationship with God. But in the midst of all of this, especially on the front end, we find in Isaiah chapter 28, there's a a certain level of arrogance that the Jewish people have in the midst of all this as God is saying, this is coming, storm's coming, there's destruction coming, this evil empire is coming, I'm bringing punishment on you. They took a little bit of an arrogant tone. So let's read uh, Isaiah 28, 15, and we find the Jewish people saying things like this. They say, well, we've, we've struck a bargain to cheat death. We've made a deal to dodge the grave. So in, in spite of your warnings, I, I think we're okay. They're saying this in the coming destruction. Everything that you've told us is happening. That coming destruction can never touch us, for we've built a strong refuge, and they've built it on lies and deception. So as God is laying out all these different things that are going to happen, the people are saying, coming threat, rocky path ahead things to deal with, right? Storms ahead, whatever. You get. They're saying, there's no worries. We've, we've made arrangements. We've built a refuge for ourselves. Now, it might be built on lies, might be built on deception. We're saying, we've, we've played the game. We, we've made some deals with the people around us. We're doing what we got to do. We've created something else to rely on if and when these storms come, if and when this destruction is at our doorstep. See, the issue, as you read through Isaiah 28, is they've fallen into the same trap that David was talking about back in Psalm 115. If we were to go back there, right, they had fashioned gods for themselves. Maybe not statues, maybe not wood carvings, but it was another place to set their feet, another place to put their hope, another foundation to build on besides the one that God wanted them to build on. But unfortunately, it was all built on a lie. They're saying, we're good we got this and this in place. We've had this and this conversation. We're going to go here and there. Everything is going to be good. And so whatever comes our way, we're going to be fine. So whatever you want to bring our way, fine. But their hope was built on deception. No better than carving an idol and calling it God. And this is how God describes it in verse 17 towards the second half of that verse. He says, well, you can do what you want. But he says, since your refuge is made of lies, a hailstorm is going to knock it down. Since it's made of deception, a flood will sweep it away. And what the Israelites discovered over time is the same thing that we've discovered. If you've been paying attention to your own life or the lives of the people around you, is that the foundations we build for ourselves simply cannot stand the test of time. We could go back to the idol issue, right? Remember David over in Psalm 115 talking about some of the ridiculous nature of this. Now, here, here's the thing we got to keep in mind. When it comes to these false gods of that time and even of this time, there are moments, there are times where those incorrect gods, those false idols have a spiritual influence behind them. If you read 1 Corinthians 10.20, Paul talks about how for those who are far from God, these lies, these deceptions often have demonic influence behind them, right? Now, there's... Those things have no authority over those who are in Christ, but it's still a very dangerous game to play. And so there's often a spiritual element driving some of these false gods and these false idols. But at the same time, many times, those incorrect foundations, those false gods, those idols are just plain ridiculous in the similar way that David described them in Psalm 115, where we go, I made it. I fashioned it. I accomplished it. I set it up, and now I'm going to step back and worship it. Now, sure, these days it's not a piece of wood. It's not a stone that you fashioned and painted and carved into an object of worship. But if you think about it in real-life terms, 
Maybe you chose the career path. Maybe you worked hard to acquire a job. And then you turn around and allow that job to dictate your values and how you're going to treat people. Maybe you're someone who grew up with very little. And maybe you set it in your heart and you decided you're going to commit yourself to a different experience for you and for your family. And so you went in a very noble pursuit of financial security. But then money becomes the driving force in your life at the expense of everything else. Or maybe for you it's experiences. There are some in the world, maybe some here today who have experienced this, where you regularly sacrifice marriage and children and career and health all at the altar of the next drink or at the altar of the next sexual encounter or the altar of the next Friday night or the next promotion or the next win, the next affirming pat on the back and whatever that looks like. Maybe you sacrifice on the altar of the next purchase or upgrade or remodel. And so we think, oh yeah, how ridiculous to paint a face on a rock and then turn around and call it God. But isn't it just as ridiculous to lose your family because you refuse to quit working? Isn't it ridiculous to sacrifice something valuable in your life all to go back to the well of experiential highs that can never make you feel the way you want to feel? And so we can look back at the ancients and say, man, how ridiculous to do that, right? And yet I think, unfortunately, so many times we find ourselves in the same sad boat as those from centuries ago. And yet, as always... God offers a different option. He offers a way out. Back to Isaiah 28. In the midst of these warnings that God is putting out, in the midst of the arrogance of the Israelite people thinking, we got this figured out, we're going to be fine. God says, okay, in verse 16, therefore, this is what I'm going to say. He says, look, I'm placing a foundation stone in Jerusalem, a firm and tested stone. Notice the stark contrast to the stone and the foundation they're building on lies and deception and own human plans. He says it's a precious cornerstone that is safe to build on. And he says, whoever believes need never be shaken. And what we find throughout history, what we find available to us in our lives today is that in, in response to the weak foundations that we've chosen for ourselves, in the midst of the false hope that we create for ourselves, God provides the only real source of hope and he sets up the only truly reliable foundation on which to build. And we read about that foundation on a day like this, on Easter Sunday. In John chapter 20, it says, Early on Sunday morning, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. She ran and found Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and she said, They've taken the Lord's body out of the tomb. We don't know where they've put him. Peter and the other disciple started out for the tomb. They were both running, but the other disciple outran Peter. Now they think that John is the one writing this. I think he, for some reason, had to accentuate the fact that he was faster than Peter. I don't know why. <laughs> John was a young guy at this time, probably a little bit cocky. Not going to hate on him. So John gets there. He stooped and looked in and saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he didn't go in. And Peter arrived, and he went inside, and he also noticed the wrappings lying there, while the cloth that had covered Jesus' head was folded up and lying apart from the other wrappings. Then the disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in, and he saw 
And he believed. For until then, they hadn't understood the scriptures that said Jesus must rise from the dead. Then they went home. Mary was still standing there outside the tomb crying. And as she wept, she stooped and looked in. She saw two white-robed angels, one sitting at the head, the other at the foot of the place where the body of Jesus had been lying. Dear woman, why are you crying? The angels asked her. Because they've taken away my Lord, she replied, and I don't know where they've put him. She turned to leave and saw someone standing there. It was Jesus, but she didn't recognize him. Dear woman, why are you crying? Jesus asked her. Who are you looking for? She thought he was the gardener. Sir, she said, if, you had ta- if you've taken him away, tell me where you've put him and I will go and get him. Mary, Jesus said. She turned to him and cried out, Rabboni, which is Hebrew for teacher. Don't cling to me, Jesus said, for I haven't yet ascended to the Father, but go and find my brothers, the disciples, and tell them, I'm ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary found the disciples and told them, I have seen the Lord, then she gave them his message. I want to jump down to verse 31 where John kind of encapsulates a lot of this. He says, These things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing in him, by building on the foundation that he is, the foundation of his death and resurrection, the foundation of his teachings, by believing in him, you will have life by the power of his name. And if we were to go back to Psalm 115 and the capper on what David is talking about with all these crazy false idols and the worthlessness that they, that they are. He says, trust in the Lord. He is your helper. He is your shield. All the different things that we chase, all the different things that we elevate and pursue and build our lives on, the major structures of our lives, the things that we know deep down are weak. And God says, I'm going to give you the only true hope, and I'm going to give you the only true foundation that's worth building on. Now, there's a a simple and yet at the same time difficult process of going from where we are to where God wants us to be. It's a process of the heart and a process of the mind. And And the first step on that journey is simply recognizing the frailty of where your hope has been placed. We say, if I can just get to this place in my career, if I can just get my 401k to a certain level, if I can find the right man, if I can get into the right school, if I can just battle through this difficult season, I'm going to be okay, right? Then I'll be set. And at that point, I can worry about my kids. At that point, I can worry about my health. At that point, I can work on my marriage. At that point, I'll think about some of the spiritual stuff that some of my friends are talking about, right? If I can just get there and we say, oh, coming struggles, coming battles. I've been through struggles before. We get through them okay. And I've got, I've got this and this in place. My investments are diversified. I got equity, right? I'm, I'm irreplaceable at work. I'm not going to worry about this. My husband's a good man. We're never going to experience that kind of stuff. And, and yeah, there, there's some decisions I'm making, but I'm, just, I'm not hurting anyone else. It's just me, right? No one else is affected. Not a big deal. I stay in shape. My kids are in a good school district. We're fine, right? We've got this, 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 and this in place. We set out our own foundation. And we lean on that. But deep down, you know better, don't you? You've seen the weak spots in those foundations, maybe in others' lives, maybe in your own life. You've made the choice. You've set your priorities. You're leaning on some of those opportunities. And now those things are your foundation. Now maybe they are the authority in your life. Now maybe in some ways they're an object of worship. 
and it's something that doesn't deserve it, and it's something that won't hold up over time, and you know it. You have to recognize the frailty of where you're placing your hope. But then you got to go a little further, because recognizing it is a very important step, right? It's just kind of being honest with yourself. But then you have to get to the next level, and you have to admit to yourself and admit to God the reality of where you've been. You can call this honesty. Here in church world, we might call it confession, right? Confession, possibly to those you love, possibly to those who have been affected by the way that you're living your life. Confession to God, because confession is basically defined as coming into agreement with God about sin, Coming into agreement with him about the difference between how he's designed life to be, how he created you to live and experience life, especially in relationship with him, in contrast with how we live our lives on our own, how you've been living, where you've been placing your hope, where you've been placing your trust, the foundation that you've been choosing to build on. You have to admit to him the reality of where you've been, the difference between who you are and who he's created you to be. And then we come to the final stage in that process, and we'll call it surrender. Great, you recognize what you're doing, right? You recognize the frailty of where you're walking your life towards, and, you, and you've admitted, hey, yeah, I, I'm, I'm broken. I am, I've experienced sin in my life. There's a difference between me and what God has called me to be, and so I need to now surrender my heart and life to Jesus, the only cornerstone, the only true foundation. The band's going to come and lead us through a couple more songs as we close, but I just want to encourage you, the challenge this morning is to trust him. He is your helper. He is your refuge. He is the one worthy of worship. He is the reliable foundation. And we're going to sing this last song, and it becomes really as simple as this. This song says, your will, your way. And that's the place we have to come into our lives, is recognizing just exactly the situation we find ourselves in. We spend most of our lives doing things our way, pursuing our will, and that's broken. And we experience the brokenness of making those broken decisions and living in that way, and God calls it sin. And because of our sin, we're separated from God. That's why Jesus had to come, because he came and showed us how to live a perfect life and then sacrificed that perfect life. We call it Good Friday. Willingly giving up himself to cover our sins. And in dying, in shedding his blood, he covers our sin. But then on Sunday, rises from the grave to free us from death. We have to come to a place in our lives where we accept that reality and confess our brokenness and then surrender our hearts and lives to him. I wonder if you've come to that place in your life. If you could do me a favor and let's bow our heads and close our eyes just for a moment of prayer. And there's nothing magical or mystical about closing our eyes. It's simply an opportunity just to focus on him for a second, not worrying about the lights or what these guys are doing with guitars or keyboards and not worrying about what I'm up here, not worrying about sunburn, pastor. I'm just going to ignore all those things for a second. This is a moment for you to consider what God is calling you to. Some of you here might be like, man, I just, I believe in Jesus. I'm all in, right? This is it. I'm, I'm, I, I accepted Jesus into my heart when I was seven years old. Or when I was in college, I got invited to this thing. Or I got invited to church and I heard the truth. And I'm all, but maybe beyond that experience, maybe you've ignored the foundation that God wants you to build on and you've been pursuing your own things. Maybe now is an opportunity to refocus a little bit. 
maybe you're here. Maybe you wandered in. You heard there was free food. Maybe you wanted, somebody invited you, right? Maybe you're here because grandma wanted you to come or mom wanted you to come or this is the best way to get to lunchtime, right? Whatever brought you into this room, maybe you're here and you've never come to that place in your life where you recognize the frailty of what you're pursuing. Maybe you've never admitted to yourself and to God that there's a big gap between you and him. Maybe this morning is an opportunity for you to surrender. Because you know the storms are coming. You know there's difficult seasons ahead. And you've been there, done that when it comes to setting up your own plans and doing things your way. Maybe it's time to surrender to his way. Simply say, Jesus, I surrender. I'm all in. I believe in you. I believe you died for me. I believe you rose from the grave for me. And from this day forward, it's your will. And it's your way. Would you stand with me? Let me pray for you, and we're going to continue with this song. God, we, we love you. We thank you for a beautiful morning. We just pray that as these thoughts continue to seep into our hearts and into our heads that you would continue working long after this moment is gone beyond a holiday Sunday beyond a beautiful afternoon God that you would continue to work and if there's any here who just need to capture who you are God I pray you'd soften their heart open their eyes open their lives to you we love you we pray this in Jesus name